0: Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing Podcast,
1: where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer.
0: Hello, and welcome to another great episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Gianna Whitfer, and with me is... Maria Velasquez. And we are so excited because we have the amazing Brittany Geronimo on today. She is the Director of Content Marketing at Blue Voyant, and she is here to tell us all about... What did you say, Maria? Reducing and reusing? Yeah. Reuse, recycle. (laughs) Exactly. Content marketing. And also about... Incorporating design into content from the start, which is an interesting perspective. Brittany, we're so excited to have you on today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So, before we start, Brittany, could you give us a little bit of context about Blue Voyant? What do you guys do? And, like, what stage of company are you at? Sure. So,
2: Blue Voyant provides internal and external cyber defense. So, that's everything from managed detection and response, digital risk protection, and third party cyber risk management as well as professional services. So we are in the growth stage. We've got about 700 employees based around the country. So yeah, it's a really exciting time.
0: That's so fun. How big is your marketing team? How's it structured? So we
2: have product marketing. I report into growth marketing and there's field marketing. And then we have an amazing design team. I want to say about 20 to 30 people. We've got a good solid team.
0: Nice. Very nice. That's awesome. Where do you fit in the content the side of the house? Is it just you doing content or do you have other people that are under you or how does it work? Yeah, so as of right now, it's myself. I kind of handle
2: the strategy and, you know, planning out the editorial. And then we have someone else who's amazing. He handles kind of the back end of things. So, you know, once a piece is done, it'll go to him for distribution. So it goes, you know, on our internal network, it'll go on social and the website and all that good stuff. So I'm very grateful to have someone who's not, you know, so I'm not doing every single piece of the content journey.
0: Oh, yeah, that'd be a lot. So let's jump into that. What we were saying at the beginning about the repurposing content. It's an interesting perspective that everybody agrees is the right thing to do repurpose content. But it's hard to get going. I feel if you haven't done it before, and you're kind of, it's hard to get going in like a strategic way is what I feel. You have oh we released a white paper now what do we do about it i feel like this is something that should be more incorporated in the planning stages of content too like knowing ahead of time that you're going to slice and dice your content so how do you even like just start thinking about content that way does like the planning journey look like when you're deciding to repurpose content
2: yeah so kind of how i have our program set up is that we have you know a tier one asset so that's your ebook your white paper your report Anything that you're going to gate, or that would maybe you would use at the end of a nurture campaign, we start with that. We populate the editorial calendar, ideally a couple months in advance. It doesn't always happen, and then I'm kind of immediately looking at opportunities to do what I call a tier two asset. So that's breaking down that big piece. So that's something like if I'm doing an ebook, I'm pretty much always going to do an infographic version, and at the end of that infographic, there's a button that says "Want the full story?" Here's the ebook. So you're leading people back around. And then from there, you know, an infographic can always become like a carousel post on LinkedIn. So then I'll have our design team break it down into different images and that, that goes on LinkedIn. From there, I'm sure there's a way to break that down even further. But, you know, <laughs> it's just like moving down the line. I think every piece of content has so much opportunity. You just have to kind of change that mindset of, you know, I think there's a lot of pressure sometimes to just put out as much content as possible, which is not a wrong strategy, I don't think. And I'm certainly guilty of it. But I think taking a step back and saying, okay, what do we have? What else can we possibly do with it? Because then you sort of end up with these nice buckets of content that's all related that you can then use in future campaigns.
1: For our listeners that can't see our faces, as Brittany's talking and giving us these examples, Gianna and I are nodding with like the biggest smiles on our faces because it's just so amazing. Yes, it's uh, such amazing ideas. And then it gives are potential leads and maybe even current customers, the opportunity to engage with content based on how much time they have, right? I can't read an ebook right now, but I could totally get the gist of what it has with this one pager or an infographic. And I love giving that option.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's great. You know, something with webinars that I like to do, I use a a tool called Otter AI. It's a transcription service. And I feel like a lot of those services, you kind of get garbage, like you really can't use that transcription. But Otter AI, like it's like 90% of the time, it's pretty usable. So, you know, we'll transcribe a webinar, then you have the actual transcript. Once you clean it up, you can put that on the website and you can put timestamps on there. And then I'll do a blog for sure, maybe an article, then I'll do like pull quotes and maybe we'll do like some kind of animated video with like on-screen text and then the audio from the webinar for social. So there's just so many different ways I get like an adrenaline rush when like we get a big piece of content. I'm like, oh, like what else can we do with this? Yeah. So there's so many cool things.
1: <laughs> when you mentioned you take the full transcript of the webinar and you put it on the website, do you then format it into a blog post and then put it on the website? Or is it with the video on the same page and then the transcript in the bottom?
2: That's a good question. So I think there's a lot of ways. We're kind of still experimenting. But for one, it's definitely a blog post. And then you know, obviously, it's a short 500 word thing. And then I'm linking back to the, the on-demand webinar. It's like, hey, do you want the full story? Here's the webinar. Got it.
0: When you're planning assets and content assets webinars, these tier one things that you're going to chop and take your bell pepper and turn it into sliced bell pepper and put it in the saute pan and then add other things, whatever. I'm trying to make an analogy. It's not really working. Jenna,
1: are you hungry? (laughs) Um,
0: I am a a lot hungry. That's true. (laughs) Brittany, when you are like strategizing around this tier one content, is there anything you do in particular to make it like? able to be broken down further in the future? Like, or is there some other way that you're thinking and strategizing about new content assets in order to make sure that they can have this long tail of use in the future?
2: Some of the time I'm writing things, but for the most part, they're coming to me. Here's an ebook, here's a white paper. So I'm not necessarily involved in the very beginning on some pieces, but when I am, we can definitely look at it as more of like a package deal. So Let's say we have an idea, hey, we're going to do an ebook on cyber insurance, something like that. That's kind of a hot topic. Then at that point, when we're involved at the beginning, we can think about, okay, here's all the different like swim lanes we have. And then from there, you can figure out, okay, if you think about repurposing at the beginning, you'll have more opportunity to do so as opposed to we already have this thing that's finished. It can be done both ways. But I think if you're thinking about it always, it really helps.
0: Is there a way that you're also editing to different audiences? when you're doing this slice and dice? Slice and dice sounds so not professional. (laughs) Very elegant, but it's kind of,
2: I mean, it's essentially what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when you're marketing something to a CISO versus someone who's maybe at a different level or maybe not quite a decision maker, but an influencer, they're going to want different content. So that's where the things that we're putting on social, like the infographics, interactive landing pages, things like that that's where we're sort of editing for those audiences that maybe want something a little quicker. It's just to kind of get to it faster. Definitely editing to different audiences.
1: Here's a question about to gate or to ungate. What's your philosophy? Oh, that's a good question. That's hard.
2: It's a debate at every team I've been on. I personally lean toward less gating because I think if you put up too many roadblocks, people are just going to abandon their cart per se or your form. So It really depends. Like I said, these bigger tier one assets, we're gonna gate them because they're valuable. We worked hard. We wanna be able to get that credit, I guess. But things like infographics, things that are smaller, that people are just kind of gathering information and doing research. I personally don't like to put up too many roadblocks. If they're that interested in us and they really want to work with us, they want to learn more, they're gonna find a way to learn more and they'll come back and maybe and get that higher value asset. So I'm kind of on the fence, but I think I lean more toward let people do their research, let them learn. And then we become a brand that they think of when they have a project going on.
1: Love that. And that's staying true to. We're educating the audience. Well, so then educate them. Don't take away the information and put it behind a form. What about going back to the strategy piece? Do you usually follow the whole pillar and cluster sort of methodology when you're looking at this, where the pillar will eventually become clusters of different repurposed pieces of content? Is that what you do?
2: That's a big part of our program as well. So we'll decide on two to three themes or buckets or whatever you want to call it for each quarter. And that's not to say that every piece of content must fit into one of these buckets, but it's a really nice way to think about it and be a little more strategic because then at, you know, let's say the end of the quarter, you end up with all these pieces that loosely relate to this one theme, and then you can build a campaign around that in the next quarter. So that's something done more recently that I'm really enjoying, and it's fun to kind of do some social listening and see, you know, what is the market talking about as we're thinking about what are we going to talk about next quarter or next year and figuring out what's relevant and how can we join that conversation?
0: What's your favorite piece of content that you've worked on so far? Oh man, I don't know about a
2: specific. I love anything really visual. I know white papers are sort of like a cornerstone of content marketing, but Something like an infographic or an ebook that is really beautifully done, which kind of leads into, I know a topic we're going to talk about later, which is design and how that plays into content. But I think something like that where you can really have less words, which may sound counterintuitive, but I think more impactful words and a beautiful design, that's something that I get excited about.
0: Love that. So some things are more. Like you said, infographics that have like punchy words and colors and like really draw the eye. And then there are ebooks and then there are other pieces of assets that are created. Do you think about things? A lot of people think about content in this like tofu, mofu, bofu. Stages, top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. How are you categorizing your content assets? Are you doing a similar thing? Or are you doing something different? Or how are you thinking about that? We are, yeah. So kind of, I have sort of in my head, this picture of our, like the different
2: types of assets we do, where they fall, if people are researching, if it's just for awareness. I mean, I personally think the top of the funnel stuff is the most fun, right? Because that's your stuff on social, that's people just finding out about you. That's your chance to really share with your audience who we are. And that's where the brand comes in. So definitely like the infographic, those types of things we're looking at is top funnel, Mid-funnel is where you know I'm working heavily with product marketing, who's coming up with all these really informative pieces like solution briefs and data sheets and those kinds of things. And then once you get toward the bottom, you're looking more at demos and things like that. So we kind of live in all different parts of the funnel. But for the most part, a lot of our content sits toward the top because that's when people are really trying to figure out what you can do and if we're a good fit.
0: I have the same picture in my head of my content assets and where they fit. And it's a PowerPoint slide. You like thinking PowerPoint slides after a while. (laughs) Yeah, my head is a PowerPoint slide. (laughs) My head is a lot of tabs open is what it is. (laughs) So why don't we talk about design and the impact of design on content? And will you start with telling us about your philosophy on design and content and how those two interplay? Yeah, absolutely. I think
2: they carry each other. I... I'm kind of a wannabe graphic designer. I have no design training whatsoever, but I just absolutely love working with creative people. And I've really had the privilege of working with a lot of amazing designers. So from the beginning, in my very first job, I worked with a great team of designers. And I really got to kind of see their process and understand that when I send them an ebook or something that I've been reviewing, like there's so much that goes into them designing that that I can't even fathom because I just don't have that skill set. So I think kind of the old adage of content first, design second, I I don't think it holds because I think that, like I said, they carry each other. For me, like a good title is going to draw me in if I'm thinking about downloading an asset. But in the end, we're kind of judging books by their covers, right? Like some kind of beautiful design is really going to make your message and your brand go so much further. So I think it's just so important to really consider design when you're thinking about content, as opposed to just something that At the end, it's your last Asana task to, oh, wait, we have to get this designed. Like it should really be thought throughout the process.
0: And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Hack Your Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon are available to look at, listen to and sponsor at hackervalley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, Hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows and a uh, sponsor, a podcast or two.
1: When it comes to figuring out the direction of the design, or maybe the tone, and keeping in mind, right, the security audience and our ICP, what are some creative ways that you take that direction in the design? That you know, I don't know. I guess maybe guaranteeing that our audience is gonna resonate with it and actually have a good reaction from a design perspective, because you know it's a tough audience right so there's very very little that excites them when it comes to marketing so have you found that secret sauce of design that captures their attention
2: i think so and it's certainly not me it's our, i mean our design team we recently went through a rebrand which has been super exciting i kind of came in at the end i joined in april But I absolutely think so because there's, I mean, we all know there's a lot of noise in cybersecurity. There's a lot of stuff out there content-wise that people are getting just like hammered with all day, like on LinkedIn and, and other channels. So I think having a different look really makes you stand out. And I think the way that you craft that message also really stands out. You know, you don't want to just blend in with everyone else because there's so much Noise, as I said. I think our design team has done a a beautiful job. I, I love our new brand. And I think just the stuff we're putting out, I'm really proud of. But obviously, I can take no credit for how it looks. I can just say that here's what they did. It's amazing. I think good design goes such a long way.
0: How are you, like Maria said, standing out in design without coloring outside of the brand guidelines? I think that's something that I struggle with as the person who owns the brand at my company. It's like, I want to do it something kind of nuts and like crazy and like out there and like get attention, but I want it to fit our brand persona and our brand and what we do and the emotions that we elicit. So sometimes it's tough to kind of balance that. I feel it's almost like fast food chains on Twitter. They don't run commercials, like how they talk on Twitter, like Wendy's commercials are wholesome or funny, but not like Insane. Like fast food brands are on Twitter. So, is there anything that you consider when you're working with these designers? Is there, or even when writing content? Because there is that balance of like standing out and adhering to the original brand of the company.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So, I think kind of how I've always viewed it is we're constantly trying to push the brand, but we are staying loyal to the brand. So, I think it's important to push things. Maybe it's some kind of campaign where you feel like you can maybe do like a slightly different take on the standard brand, standard brand standards, (laughs) or it's like a certain like special piece, let's say like, for instance, like if I'm wanting to do a big paper that sort of brings together all of those themes I mentioned that we do each quarter, maybe that's something that's a little more custom and it's not, you know, a template that we've used before. So like I said, I think it's staying loyal, but always finding ways that you can push so that your audience still recognizes you, but understands that you're kind of like an evolving living thing. That's going to answer their needs.
1: That's a really brilliant compromise. You don't break the rules, but still get what you want creatively. That's awesome. Talk to us about the themes. How do you work with the rest of the marketing team on their campaigns and whatever themes you come up with for the campaigns from a content perspective?
2: Yeah. So for our content, our editorial campaigns are themes for each quarter. What I've kind of started to do is work with our like analyst relations and public relations team and start with them and figure out, you know, what are the analysts talking about? What are people on social talking about? And then maybe we'll pick, you know, here's five or six suggestions. So for instance, one of ours for Q3 was cyber resiliency. So that's going to I think be kind of like a long-running theme, but It's really finding things that if you, so to go back to like a PowerPoint slide. if I put a table up with all of our business units and our themes, where can all those business units then fill in that matrix to show like where they play in and what stories they could tell kind of a way to test those themes is making sure that they play well with each of the business units. And then we can all tell a different story, not maybe not a different story, but complementary stories that apply to all those different audiences.
1: Makes a lot of sense. I love that.
0: How do you tell if anything that you're doing is working? When I say that, it sounds like I'm saying none of it is. But how do you actually tell? And to target this question, like towards this working with designers from the beginning, can you tell that your journey into working with the designers from the start and incorporating the design into the content, has that resulted in a better outcome? Is there like tracking that you do or anything like that? I mean, I think it's kind of subjective, at
2: least from that perspective. I mean, I think when you can get design excited about a piece, you really start to see like that creativity grow. You know, if you're just sending them eBooks and white papers all day, you know, all week and it's the same old template over and over, like that's just not, I personally wouldn't think that's super interesting. So when you can say to design, let's have a little more fun with this piece, let's see how we can push the brand in this way. I think they get excited and I think not to speak for them, but I think that's a way to really push that boundary. And I think that the more people are allowed to be creative, I think the better result
0: you're going to get. Awesome. I like that. When I was in advertising, it was the formula to a good campaign and to good ideas and to good creative was not like, go, 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 like, keep pushing out white papers. It was like, all right, we learn deeply about a subject and then we go have a beer and like relax and you need time and space to be creative. And There was a great thread in our Slack community, the Cybersecurity Marketing Society, for anyone who's listening and wants to join, visit us at cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com about combating burnout in your design team, because we're all so busy and we have so much content we're producing and it all needs design. So engaging them from the beginning, because then they also have ownership, right? And like they're a partner in this, it sounds like a good way to combat that. And also trying and doing those fun, unique creative things that are different and aren't just a regular white paper, et cetera. Brittany, how do you combat burnout too as someone who's involved in the day-to-day of content? I mean, words, words, words that can get potentially also like in that burnout zone.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's happened to all of us. I mean, I think I do best when I'm writing about one things I find interesting, which is why I came back into cybersecurity, because I just I love writing about this stuff. I think burnout's going to be inevitable anywhere, but I think just finding ways you can constantly like find something to be excited about, find something you can push on. If you're in this pattern of ebook, white paper, ebook, white paper, say, okay, like, hold on a second. Let's not just keep meeting the status quo, but how can we change this just a little bit just to kind of recharge things? I think always having something you're looking forward to, some kind of project that's new and exciting, I think makes a big difference.
1: Brittany, have you done work with, for instance, leadership or internal SMEs or even founders in terms of getting them to create content? And if yes, how did you do that? And then how did you also repurpose that kind of content into different ways?
2: So I think one way to really engage with subject matter experts is to first build that relationship. You can't just join a company and come at everyone and say, hey, you know, can you write this blog for me? You don't want to take advantage of anyone because Everyone I work with is wildly smart and also wildly busy. So you want to respect their time. Like I said, building that relationship is so important because when you have a rapport with someone, you want to help them. My thing is once I get a piece of content, let's say we have someone write a paper or an article, that's when I am going back to my repurposing and wringing and as much as I possibly can out of it so that... Again, I'm respecting their time. So I'm not going to say, hey, you wrote this white paper. Can you also write this infographic and all this other stuff? Like, no, they've given me a lot to work with. And then I figure out what I can do from there.
1: Love that. It's definitely one of those rare gems, right? When you do get it, you got to spread it as much as you can and make the most of it. So, especially in smaller startups, right? Where you need that voice of the expert and you want to put the founders out there and, And you're right, relationship building is definitely a big piece of that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so it's time to play our game now. Woohoo! So we are going to guess, Brittany, if you were not in content marketing, what would you be doing today as a job? And then we're going to both guess, and then you pick which of us win. And the winner gets a back massager from my
1: office all right I need to win this then I have a lot of back problems
0: yeah I'm looking around there's not many good prizes here you can have my used water bottle you can have this back massager massager (laughs) Uh, you can have a Kirkland brand something okay so Costco please sponsor this podcast um (laughs) who wants to go first
1: I guess I'll go first. What I'm thinking of might be considered semi-cheating, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. I, n- I don't know. Brittany, I see you as this editor-in-chief at a magazine or something of that sort, something in, on the news side of things or media. Such a cheater. Such a cheater, cheater, cheating chicken
0: eater or something. I'm going to cheat too. Brittany, I think you would be living in the south of France editing novels. I had a cool novel company. like I a, I guess a book publisher is what the phrase actually is. Oh. oh, yeah.
2: That's hard. Those are both really fantastic careers that I wish I had had. I mean, I will pick a winner, but the South of France one is interesting to me. So I did have an internship in college where I worked for a literary agent and I got to read all the Submissions that came in for her, and I would write a little synopsis. So that was a lot of fun. So I did consider going into publishing. And then, Maria, I like yours as well. I gotta say, that's pro, I think Maria might be the winner because that's probably where I thought about going into journalism, then shifted this route instead to be a little more creative you know, journalism that I think that frowns upon when you're too creative in journalism. So I liked the idea of marketing. So so I think Maria wins, but both really good answers.
1: Yay. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, goodbye back problems. You better ship me that back massager ASAP. All
0: right. Well, thank you Brittany for sharing with us all of your tips and tricks on recycling content without pissing off your SMEs and on why design should be at the forefront of the planning process and not the end with a, and I'm guilty because I have a Trello board and the last step in the content process currently is in design. And then it's posted to the website. <laughs> so totally guilty there. And I'm going to take what you said and actually apply it to what we're doing. So appreciate all of your comments and everything. It's been fun having you.
1: Yeah, this was super fun.
0: Yes. Thank you for having me. I loved it. Brittany gave us a link to Content Marketing Institute, an article on incorporating design into your content planning process. We'll include that in the show notes. Brittany, where else can people who have questions about content and design and the mixing of the two and repurposing content, how can they reach out to you? Sure, so
2: I'd love to chat on LinkedIn. Feel free to add me there and send me a message. I love talking content, so yeah, I'm
0: here. Awesome. If you have feedback for breaking through in cybersecurity marketing, including comments. Only nice comments, though. Comments, suggestions, other ideas. Send us a note at
1: heythere@cybersecuritymarketingsociety.com. At Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to give this episode five stars because it was totally a 10-star kind of episode, but since all, all we have is five... <laughs> just give us some stars, please. And (laughs) subscribe. And don't forget to tune in next week. An episode drops every Wednesday. Brittany, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Lots of great advice and insight that I'm going to go this way and apply it literally right now my job. (laughs) Thank you. See y'all next time.